That's right. Well, howdy. How is everyone this morning? It is great to be with everyone this morning. As you can see with that video, we had an awesome time at youth camp this past week. There was a lot of awesome moments. It was in the mountains of northern New Mexico. As you can see from my shirt, it was called M3 Camp. And you're probably wondering, well, what are the three M's? It's moment, mission, and movement. And it was actually this really cool moment at youth camp, y'all, that there was this black light there in the worship center, and the students have no idea that there was something like secret ink on their shirts. And then all of a sudden, bam, they turn on this black light, and then you can see it underneath this M3 logo moments, mission, and movement. And they're all freaking out. They're pointing at each other like that Spider-Man meme. They're like, this is so cool. But it was incredible because it truly was a weekend or like a week. It was a five-day camp where we had a moment to experience the extraordinary love of Jesus Christ, where that love would transform our hearts. That way we'd be connected to the mission of Jesus Christ to know him and make him known among everyone that way that we would return back to our hometowns, our communities, our families, wherever that God may send us, that way that we could start a gospel movement of that same extraordinary love. Y'all, it's incredible this morning during the 1030 service, service after this, we're going to be baptizing seven students from youth camp, which is something to celebrate, which is something to be super excited about. And three more from a couple weeks before at Momentum Camp with our fifth and sixth grade. So 10 baptisms this morning of those who have given their lives to Jesus or they said, hey, I haven't taken that step of obedience or that step of faith of what baptism is. But thinking about that moment, there's actually a moment in particular I want to share with you all this morning as we get going. It was from youth camp. I believe it was on Sunday nights of youth camp, and y'all were getting ready for worship. It's a packed-out house. It's this huge worship auditorium. There's 1,400 students who came to youth camp that week, along with the 150 to 200 adults and leaders. So about 1,600 people in this worship space, and we would always start out our sessions with the monkey dance and the church clap. And I would demonstrate for I've I already had my dance moves made fun of for the whole week long, so I'm going to spare you that. But the students would just flock here alongside the worship stage before the sessions begin. And here comes this big gorilla man in a costume and his posse of astronauts. That was the weirdest combination I've ever seen in my life, a gorilla with astronauts surrounding him. But anyhow, they would lead everybody in the church clap and the monkey dance. And while all the students are getting on one another's shoulders and you think it's about to be a concert because they're gathered right here, rather than Mr. Gorilla coming out, it's actually the, the camp director dude, Brandon, who comes out with a mic. And he says, hey, y'all, I know that y'all aren't going to like this news, but we're going to start this evening of camp a little bit differently. I want y'all to go ahead and go back to your seats. And you can imagine that Brandon is the most popular guy in the room at that moment, that the whole room just sighs and they file back to their chairs. And Brandon begins to share about the last six to seven months of his life, that he'd been going through a, a season of depression and that he had lost loved ones and that there were many, many people who had quit there at the SBTC right before camp, that a lot of it fell on his shoulders. It was a great burden for him to carry, to prepare, prepare for camp and just make it possible and of course, there was the one half of me that was very Christian-like that's wanting to love and support him, and you're glad that he's being transparent and vulnerable in front of all these people. But the other half of me is like, dude, you just massacred the moment. Like, we were ready for the church clap, and we were all ready to get going. 
But the more it went on, it was incredible on how he'd actually led us into a moment of reflection and prayer. And it was about 45 minutes to an hour of sincere, heartfelt prayer to God, just each person crying out to God, praying to God. And how powerful is it that it wasn't just this moment where he was praying a bunch of words up here on the stage and everyone's kind of half-heartedly following along, nodding their heads to know that there were people kneeling at chairs. There were people who come back to the front to just lay on their face and pray. And throughout that time, he challenged us to personally adore God, to confess sin before God and lay it there at the foot of the cross to give thanks to God and how he'd been moving, and even pray for our communities and our families and those people in our lives, even pray for the gospel to be shared in our community and those that are lost that we know in our lives. Incredible, powerful prayer. And the profound thing about that moment is it struck me how often we just go through Christian-like movement that we just come to worship and Bible study, no matter what it is, and as long as we're doing Christian-like activities, and as long as we're busying ourselves with those things, how often do we miss actually meeting with God? How often do we actually encounter God, rid ourselves of the busyness, rid ourselves of the distractions, and all the things where it's just, hey, all those are going out the door, and here I am ready to connect with God, and to listen to him, and allow his presence and peace to fill me. It's kind of like hosting at home that you have a house full of people, of guests. Elle and I have hosted Bible studies over the past couple years there at the Parsonage. And you look forward to that moment. Not that you don't love everyone who's there, but you look forward to that moment where it's just my wife and I so we can turn on the TV and watch Bluey, right? That it's just going to be her and I. We're going to have those moments together. But it's this moment where there's this solitude and quiet of being with that important person. Or even think about it on the flip side, that say there's someone that you have conflict with, maybe there's someone that you know that there's some tension in between you and in that relationship, and the most awkward thing, the most horrible thing that could happen is for you and that person to be caught alone at work in the break room, or to be in the same classroom, just you and that person there at school, and have to work that out, right? To be there all of a sudden face-to-face, kind of like, oh, yeah, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to address that. But in the very same way, how we avoid God's presence, whenever that presence is the very thing that we crave and need, or it's the very thing that we need that's going to begin to burn away sinful things in our life, and he's going to begin to remedy the things that most need his attention and love. So that's my prayer is what we're going to do this morning and what this time will be for you. And we're going to start our time a little bit different here in a second, that we're going to pray to God that he would rid ourselves of those distractions, that he would rid ourselves of any just rhythmic activity, and we would actually come before here, empty ourselves, empty our hearts with open hands, receive what he has for us this morning, and step into the passage that he would speak to us with power and clarity. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then right after we pray, Once again, we're going to go a little bit out of our norm. We're going to stand, and we're going to read the passage all together this morning, and then we'll be seated after that. So that's what it's going to look like here in the next couple moments. So we'll begin by praying. Father, we come before you. God, we ask humbly that you would meet us in this space this morning. God, we long to meet with you. God, we long to be made clean and made well in your presence God, that you would take the burdens of our soul away, God, that 
you would heal us in the deepest places of our lives. That way that we would be filled with a genuine joy and a genuine peace and just truly be able to sit in your presence and to trust you more and be filled with faith. God, so we ask that this morning. Would we turn fully towards you? Would we focus upon you? Would you speak to us as we just want to be authentic before you, in need of you, throwing ourselves upon your mercy and grace? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if y'all will stand. I'm reading from Revelation, the book of Revelation in chapter 7. beginning in verse 9. Revelation 7, picking up in verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So a little bit of background. John the Apostle wrote the book of Revelation, and as we see in the beginning parts of Revelation that it was written to the seven churches in Asia, And during the time of writing this, John was actually exiled, being persecuted for him following Jesus and following what was called the way. And because there was such harsh persecution, he was exiled to this island called Patmos. And here he receives this vision, this revelation from God that is meant to reveal reveal things that were previously hidden from God's people. So here is the book of Revelation that's speaking of the things to come and what's beautiful is Romans 11.36 says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And that's exactly what we're finding is happening here in Revelation, that all of history and all of the movement of the universe is moving towards him, to God himself, as he brings all things to its completion. And his will is ultimately done. As we narrow in on this passage, the broader context of what's happening is there's these things called the seven seals, and I'm not talking the, like not the animal seal, right? But we're talking about the seal that would go on a letter or a scroll that seals it. There's seven seals that there's only one who is worthy to open them, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And as he opens these seals, history draws to its close, to its conclusion, and the will of God is done, and the judgments of God are completed, and they're just, and they're right, and no one is going to open their mouth against the judgments of God and how they are completed. He is going to get his way in his time. And in this passage, Revelation 7, 9 through 12, that we just read, the key word that we're going to talk about today is salvation. That there is this multitude of people that are gathered before his throne, 
who have been saved and made pure through the blood of the Lamb, and they're gathered before him to worship and enjoy him forever. That there's salvation brought to this multitude of people. And this morning, as we look at this passage, this is what we are going to ask ourselves. What is the nature of this salvation? We're going to talk about four main things about this salvation that we learn the nature of this salvation that God is giving his people. The first one is global. Everybody say global. God's salvation is global. As you see in that passage that we just read, in John's vision that he's sharing, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne. God's number one desire is being fulfilled in this passage that we just read, that there would be a great number of people, a great multitude brought to himself in his presence, and this multitude of people would be head over heels in love with him, that every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people group would be brought to him from every corner of the earth, from the far corner of the earth to the corner across the street, that there would be lovers of God who are brought to himself. And y'all don't miss this. We must remember that while this multitude is brought head over heels in love with God. They're brought to him because he was first head over heels in love with us. That he was first head over heels in love with the world. That we know that John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is the kind of God that we serve and this is the God who wants to bring this multitude of people to himself. These are the blood-bought ones that are Romans 10.9 people, which means this, that they are the ones who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead. That is what brought them to this moment of salvation, by God's grace, saved and brought to him. The second thing about the salvation, it is glorious. Everyone say glorious that we see that this is a glorious moment as there is this multitude. It's not just these saints who have been brought to the tribulation, but it is also angels, and it's also whoever those elders are, and it's these four living creatures that they're actually described really creepily. All they're covered with eyes, but they're leading in worship before the throne of God. This whole multitude gathered before him that's joyous, joyful, exalting him as king. We see that there's palm branches in the multitude's hand. And these palm branches, we've seen actually a couple times in Scripture that these palm branches were used in the Feast of Tabernacles and the Feast of Booths as they would exalt God as king. Probably most prominently in your mind and my mind, we remember palm branches on Palm Sunday as Jesus rode into Jerusalem the week of Passion Week, the week that he'd be crucified on a Friday. But just a few days before that, they were exalting Jesus as king. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest with these palm branches. And then here, once again, in this very pivotal moment, this scene at the throne as history draws to the close, people are still going to be exalting God as king because they will always be exalting him as the true and rightful king. Let's bring our attention back to the elders, whoever they are, that we see the elders turn up in Revelation several different times. But what's pretty funny and actually kind of cool about these elders is that these brothers are always on their face. That whenever the elders are mentioned, they're always on their face before God. Why? We think about elder being an important word, right? Or an important title that elders are esteemed and looked up to. 
But time after time after time, these elders are on their face because there's only one who's worthy of worship. There's only one who's worthy of adoration and praise, and that is God. And the elders are giving us that window to remind us that he and he alone is worthy to be worshipped, God alone. And we see that this moment is glorious because of the one who is the focal point of that moment. That every single person and this whole scene is focused upon one thing, one thing only. There's only one object of worship, and that's the Lord himself. That's the one who sits upon the throne and the lamb who was slain, the Lord our God. A third thing to see about this salvation in the throne room, this vision we're seeing that John is sharing. And that third thing is goodness. Everybody say goodness. The goodness of this salvation. And I know what y'all are probably thinking in this moment. You're like, dude, could you think of a better G word? I know that you're trying to go with the G's and you started with global and now you're going to glorious, but goodness, like that's a, that's a pretty lame adjective, dude. But just follow along with me here on where this word goodness comes from, that we actually go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. God is creating the heavens and the earth just by the words of his mouth, the words that he speaks. And as he's speaking creation into existence, he says, let there be light, and it is good. Let the light be separated from the darkness. At the end of that day, it is called good, that the creatures of the waters, those that swarm in the waters, are created. God calls it good. The creatures that crawl along the land, it is good. The birds of the air and all those that fly, it is good. There's this pattern, good, good, good. Then we see whenever mankind is created, in Genesis 2, we actually see that there's a not good. And that's a record scratch, like, what just happened here? It was good, good, and all of a sudden not good. But the reasoning of why it's not good is because man was alone. And then, of course, we see... Woman is created from man, and they're created for one another. They're designed for one another. And ultimately, we find here that man is created for community. That man is created to live in relationship with one another. And we see that that quickly goes out the window, and that is broken and shattered. Genesis 3, the fall, sin enters into the world. It doesn't take just one more chapter in Genesis 4, and Cain slaughters his brother Abel. And although man was made for relationship and to live among one another, it quickly takes a turn for the worst. And this, this goodness has a crack in it. There's a fault in this system. But what's beautiful about the hope that we see in Revelation is that this goodness will be one day restored to its truest form whenever God's salvation is worked out. Y'all listen, sin separates Sin separates us from him, and sin also causes separation in between one another. But in this scene, we see togetherness. We see unity in Revelation 7. We see that these people are now dwelling in the fullness of light because God is light, and now they can actually see one another as one another truly is. And not only that, they're fully known, but they're also fully loved. What a beautiful goodness that is restored in relationship to one another because we've been restored to God through his salvation. Y'all, I brought an actual object lesson with me today. Old bike wheel. Here it is. And just take a moment to look at this bike wheel with me. From 
our moment of talking about God being at the center and Jesus being at the center and all things focusing on him, we're going to call Jesus the center right here of my bike wheel. And around here at the rim and tire, this is the world. And God's great desire of his heart is for us to be connected to him by faith and through trust in what Jesus did along these spokes or how we're supposed to live and ought to live is we're connected to Jesus. So like I said, world connected to Jesus who is the center. And you guys all see all of these different spokes, so all of these different lives, all these different people who are connected to Jesus, these spokes are the furthest away from each other here around the outer edge around the world, if you will, that living by the world and the standards of the world and living of the flesh, we're never going to be more separated from one another because guess what? Sin separates. But the closest that we are to Jesus as we move closer to Jesus and if we're abiding in him, y'all see that the spokes are the closest there towards the middle. The closest that we're ever going to be to one another is whenever we're closest to Jesus. As we draw close to Jesus, that's whenever we're going to find one another and be living closely alongside another, understanding one another, and actually be connected to the source and him who is life through and through. So after these four things, speaking of the salvation that his people are receiving in Revelation 7, we must consider what it means for your life and for my life. And we find this, that those who are saved and washed by the blood of Jesus, will be gathered before God in worship and enjoyment of him forever. That we'll be fully head over heels in love with God, and he'll be head over heels in love with us, and we'll be in the fullness of his presence forever. And that includes you and I, those who profess faith in Jesus, who will turn away and repent from their sins and trust in him as Lord and Savior, they will receive the salvation. They'll get to be in this moment, and they'll be among the multitude who worships him forever and ever. Christ's reward for the cross is his people gathered before him in worship and gladness. The price that he paid on the cross and the reward that he receives in return are those that he loves head over heels in love with coming before him and being near to him. That's the reward of the cross. And y'all, the church, which isn't this building or isn't anything else other than you and I, that we are the church, we're the vehicle that God is using to bring the multitude to him. That yes, we have believed and we have professed and we made the profession, but there is a mission and there is a work to do because we are the way that God is bringing more to himself that that multitude grows, that there would be more joy and more gladness as more our people are brought into the family of God. We serve a missionary God, a God who's on mission. Here's this quote, the gospel is the good news that the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of the never-boring, ever-satisfying Christ is ours freely and eternally by faith in the sin-forgiving death and hope giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're called into giving our entire lives for this mission. If we would just be captivated by this scene at the throne, by what we're seeing here in Revelation 7, that we're captivated and say this, that I want to be in that scene, and I want to bring others into that scene 
as well. Man, how he has loved us infinitely and how we can be gathered before him forever in gladness and bring others along also as we join that multitude. We have to consider in our lives, how are we doing currently on this mission? That we've been given a great commission from God, something to give our lives to, and the Joshua Project says this, of about 16,500 people groups in the entire world, about 7,200 of those people groups, so about effectively half of those people groups are unreached and unengaged with the gospel, meaning this, they haven't even had access to the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all, the point is simple. There's work to do. But even still thinking that not everyone is sent to go to a foreign nation or unreached people group as a mission, think about locally in your life. I want you to pause for a second and ponder on someone that you know who doesn't know Jesus. Who is in your life, a family member, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, who doesn't know Jesus? Y'all, the point is simple. There's work to do. There's people to share the hope of the gospel with. That we can share the love of Christ with people across the street and across the globe. That we all have work still to follow him and trust him in as we trust in this moment and anchor our hope to being with him forever. Think about this. What is the world's one greatest need? What is the world's greatest problem that we all face today? Is it liberalism? Is it the economy? Is it wars and conflict? Or is it human selfishness? We could throw out problem after problem. Is it sin? Now we're getting to, to closer to biblical. Are we going to grab it from the Bible? Listen to this. The world's number one problem is lostness. A lost world who doesn't know God, who doesn't know their creator. Man, if we see everything through that lens that the world's Number one greatest need and greatest problem is, is lostness. And there's a world out there and there's people out there who know, need to know God through Jesus. Then that begins to revolutionize the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we act, the things that we prioritize in our lives. Man, we celebrate and we're super pumped for the 1030 service because here are the students that we're getting to baptize. We're baptizing Paisley and Grant, Josh, Brock, Broxon, Christian, Desi, El Garrison, Jeremiah, and Ember. Seven baptisms this morning of those who professed faith in Jesus or they're taking that next step of obedience in their faith by saying, hey, I'm his now and his story is my story. That's what we're getting to see in baptism we also had a few students that we are just as excited and super pumped to celebrate that we have Ava Gomez, Chloe Van Winkle, Hannah Vaughn, and Jackson Campbell. While at camp, we're saying this, hey, if God is calling me to missions, is God is calling me to be in ministry, whether it looks like being a pastor or actually going away and serving on missions, my yes is on the table. If he's telling me to go, I will. Of course, not tomorrow. I don't think a lot of our parents would want to say, yeah, I'm ready to say goodbye now. But as they grow, as they mature, to say, my, God, my yes is on the table, God, for wherever you're calling me on this great mission. 
man, isn't it beautiful? Is that what God did throughout the past week at youth camp? Is that they had captivated him with this scene that we see in Revelation? And it becomes the great desire of their heart because it's the Heavenly Father's heart's desire is to see a multitude brought to him. To see tons and tons of people, lots and lots of people gathered in his love, full of gladness and joy. So let's look at the call on our lives. This is where we end our time this morning, and I pray that this is where it becomes most personal to you, in your own heart, in your own life, that way that you could discern what God is asking from you today. One simple sentence. If you love someone, you're going to do whatever it takes at whatever cost to give them the desire of their heart. The camp pastor had shared a story while they were at Glorietta that him and his wife had been married for about four or five years at that point, and they're just driving down the road together and listening to the radio and everything like that. And his wife all of a sudden becomes somewhat serious and says, hey, I want to talk with you about something. It's been something that's been on my heart lately. It's been something I've been praying about lately, and I just can't bottle it anymore. I have to share with you that while I enjoy you and I being married and just being you and I on all these adventures and all this craziness and all this fun, I have this on my heart that I want to be a mom. I would love to have our own family one day. I would love to raise kids with you one day that I can't shake it anymore. I feel like I need this in my life right now, and I just want to start a family with you. And, of course, a lot of husbands are going to be like, like, let's pull up the car real quick. Hold up. What did you say? And he just nonchalantly keeps on driving down the road and just off the whim on how he felt in that moment, he says, you know what? I'm not ready. I don't think it's time. I'm not sure if I want kids. I don't think that time is now anyways. And in this moment, the person that he's called to love most in his life had completely shut down her heart's desire, especially in this moment where he was more than equipped and that he was in this position that he could help these desires of his wife's heart to come true. And in a similar fashion, I thought about my own wife and I. Similar moments, we're driving down the road in the pickup together and listening to music, jamming, everything like that. And she says, hey, there's something on my heart. There's something I want to share with you, and I can't shake it, and it's really been on my mind. I even prayed about it, and I just wanted to bring it to your attention I think I really want a horse. <laughs> and at this moment, I know my face was as long as a horse's face because I had grown up around horses. I know how expensive they are. And I know this powerful, awesome, majestic creature can get like a stomach ache, which is called colic, and pretty much fall over and die at any moment. I'm like, how can a big animal like a horse not get over a stomach ache? It's ridiculous. But anyhow, thinking about horses and growing up with them, it was very hard for me in that moment to be like, you know what? I think that's a phenomenal idea for us to have a horse. I mean, every intention and every knee-jerk reaction, we would say this, hey, we have two dogs in the backyard. Don't you love Kitty? Don't you love Tebow? Aren't they enough company for us right now? But at the same time, she was so set on wanting a horse that she'd seen my sister ride horses, and we'd been around it with friends and family. And it was in this moment that 
I would, of course, argue and say that we weren't in the place financially to do it, but I was in a, in a position where it could provide the desire of her heart to her, just like the camp pastor and his story and his wife wanting kids. And here's the deal, y'all. God loves us so much that he invites us by grace into his family and that he gives us the power and he gives us his spirit that not only do we get to receive his love freely as a gift that he lavishly pours out upon us, he's given us everything we need to fulfill the desire of his heart, to simply share the love of Jesus and bring others into this scene at the throne, this multitude that's gathered before him. Y'all, it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own power. He is willingly inviting us into the mission to see his heart's desire come true. It's not that he needs us, but he wants us. And the moment of decision for you today is, hey, are you in this scene? Are you going to be one day before the throne? Have you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, which simply means this, that you've repented from your sins and you've turned towards Jesus, that you've said that I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, that yes, he was buried for my sin, he was buried for the punishment I deserved, but God raised him a new life, and by his life, I can have a new life. Have you made that decision of faith? Have you made that profession of faith? If not, I pray today would be the day of salvation. But if you've been walking in that decision, if you've been walking in newness of life with Jesus, for many of us, the call that we have to wrestle with and grapple today is this, what are you doing now in response to the love that he's given you? Are you bringing more into the multitude? Are you calling lots and lots of people, sharing them the love of Jesus, that way that they can be in this scene as well? And while there's not going to be seven amazing steps for Bible study or we're going to talk about this method of evangelism, the true application of this sermon is hoping to pierce your heart. Man, have you been captivated by this scene at the throne? Are you swept away by the beauty and the goodness and the glory of what it's going to be like whenever we're all gathered in heaven one day, and then beyond that, it's on a new heavens and new earth where every tear is wiped away from our eyes. Because if you have that in your heart, and if you have Jesus in your heart, it's going to very quickly make its way to your hands and feet. If Jesus is truly in your heart, it's going to show in your hands and your feet, and how you live, and how you walk, where you go, the things you do, that your whole life is going to be captivated on others coming to know him. Let's pray all together this morning. Father, we come to you. God, and we're just overtaken by your beauty, your goodness, your truth, your great love for us. Lord, we just pray that your spirit would be moving among us even here and now in this moment and that you'd be drawing us closer to yourself, that you'd be drawing us closer to your throne. God, would you be conquering sin in our lives and the things that separate and divide us from you, that way that we would come before you fully known, fully loved, fully cherished, and fully secure in your love for us. God, I just pray for everyone here in this room that they have come to that moment of decision where they have come to the end of themselves and they've placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that they've repented from their sin 
and that they've turned towards you to made, be, be made clean, be made whole, and be made well, and have the hope of eternity dwelling with you and others forevermore. God, would you convict their hearts this morning if they haven't been to that moment of decision, that they haven't placed their faith in you? God, would today be that day that they get to see themselves joining this scene in heaven that we read about? And for others that have been walking alongside you, Lord, would you show us in your ultimate unending wisdom on how you would have us to walk and live our lives? God, would you capture our hearts? Would you have all of our hearts as we surrender them to you? God, we, would we live with purpose and walk with purpose to fulfill the great commission, what you've left us here for, that we would bring many, many, many lovers of God to your throne with us, that we would come with many, many friends just by sharing the hope of the gospel, bringing it to the ends of the earth, bringing it to around the street and around the corner. God, we know and we trust that you're going to equip us to talk to that neighbor, to start that Bible study at work, to share the encouragement or the good news for someone who is struggling and suffering right now. God, to offer a lending hand, helping hand, serve someone that ultimately displays the gospel. Whatever steps that you're asking of us and from us, God, we know that you are going to lead us in that. You're going to equip us for that as long as we've given our whole heart and lives to you. God, so just have all of us is our prayer this morning. That way they would bring the multitude to you and be among the multitude to worship and enjoy you forever. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Just bless every single person in this room in the name of Jesus, that you're going to walk with them all their days, that you're going to take care of them and love them all their days on into eternity. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray all of these things. Amen.